Morning, church. It's good to be with you. Let's warmly welcome again those uh, receiving baptism a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Very cool. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I am a note taker, or at least I like to doodle during sermons just to keep my attention. So if you are one of those, I did uh, ask you some leading questions in here. It's in the bulletin if uh, that's your thing. You can open that up and um, take notes if, uh, if there's something hopefully good said this morning. Uh, my name's Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here this morning, and I get to be with you two weeks in a row, so that's pretty cool. Um, keep praying for Brian. He's taking this month off as he approaches his fifth year um, in, uh, with our church as lead pastor, and that's a time of review for himself as well as for our board with him and our bishop, and so that's coming up shortly, and he asked for a month to just pray and get away um, as he approaches that. Last week, our our topic was anger, and I ask you, what are you learning about anger? In your life, as you look at anger, what are you learning about anger? And and today, um, I ask you, as as we approach the Sermon on the Mount again, and we're going to read together again the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I ask you, what are you learning about happiness? What are you learning about blessedness? What are you learning about having a full and rich life? If you've paid attention to the news, um, you, your heart might have broken um, for, for several celebrities that, that seem to get to the end of their life and um, take their life early because of depression, because of just bitterness, because of a dark, dark place that they're in. And that, that unsettles us because we look at that and we say, how could that be? I mean, the rawness of thinking it through is enough to unsettle you, but, but I think that we're unsettled because... When we look at their life, the things that motivate us usually in our life wasn't enough for them. The things that do usually motivate us, maybe the right relationship, the right job, a little bit more money, a little bit bigger house maybe. Those things that that often motivate us wasn't enough for them to find happiness. And so it's really unsettling. I think we come today and and we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me, teach me, be my center. As we just wrestle with that idea of of how does one find happiness in a blessed and full life. So this morning we're going to read this um, section of scripture again like we did last week. And I want you to think through the word blessed. So go ahead and, and start at the beginning. The word blessed can also mean happiness or rich and full life. And so as we read this, another person put flourishing would be more of an accurate translation. So I want you to think through what it means. Full and rich and happy are even the poor in spirit. Now, is Jesus saying that the, the poor, or sorry, the rich in spirit, they don't get to heaven they don't get the kingdom of heaven. No. It was just culturally understood that they got it. That, that they automatically were in because they were rich. Things were going well for them. They seemed blessed on earth. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven is obviously theirs. So Jesus already knew that cultural understanding. And he was pointing out, number one, well, do they really know the kingdom of heaven? Is it really just theirs because they're blessed on earth? And also, even the poor in spirit, they are blessed. And they have a chance at this full and rich life. So go ahead and stand where you're at. Get the blood flowing here. And we're going to read the beginning of Matthew 
5, 3 through 10 together this morning. Read with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You can be seated. This morning I'm dividing my time up into two parts. One is, I want to talk a little bit more about what we just read. And then the second part is, Jesus has words on lust, adultery, and divorce that we need to think through and address this morning. So what we just read. I want to introduce you to my friend Blaine. Um, There was a life celebration funeral for him this week here at church. And he was a a long-term member here. And Blaine makes me smile. Um, He was often here. Um, He was very involved in meal ministry. Um, He was often, um, I would talk to him about how life was going and he would be elbows deep in sudsy water as he would scrub pots for uh, preschool meals. He would scrub potatoes for uh, a fundraiser up at Pleasant View that they got ready here. And so Blaine was here all a lot. And um, while Blaine was not perfect, I believe that a lot of his life um, were examples of kingdom living. Before coming to this church, at a previous BIC church, he was the treasurer. He was the Sunday school superintendent. He was a deacon. And so he served people and faith communities so well for so many years um, that, that this week it was just, um, while you're sad, you're also filled. And at, at his meal, um, everyone, um, I think, was intrigued by some of his favorites. And so they ate some of his favorites. And so they had a platter of Fig Newtons. And they had ice cream, but not just any ice cream. They had grape nut ice cream. And so um, Blaine was remembered for a few things that he loved. But he loved being part of the kingdom of God. And I'm reminded that um, when we read, Blessed are those who mourn, that there still can be a happiness and a richness to the times when we say goodbye. To the times that we're sorrowful for that death experience. And, and I know it's easier, maybe, um, Blaine did live 96, and so you say, wow, that was a grateful life. I see why you're saying that. But what about someone whose life is cut so short and it happens all the time? What about that? I believe Jesus would still say, blessed. There's a richness. There's still happiness or a deep thread of, of fulfillment, even in those times, even though they're so hard and they break our hearts, that in those times, happiness, fullness, and meaning is not lost. It's not hopeless. The Message Bible um, was written by a, a fellow named Eugene Peterson. And um, I've held on to his writings all through my being a pastor. And as a youth pastor, I appreciated the message. It allowed me to, to put on the screen and the kids to be able to understand it a little bit easier and a little bit better. It's a paraphrase um, that he wrote more recently. And so I've leaned on his, his life and his character and his teachings for years. And he went into hospice care this week. Um, and um, has a lot of dementia going on and we probably won't hear from him anymore. 
His voice is silent, but his legacy is not in any way. And uh, I wanted to share this tweet because um, I feel like um, there's so much of that blessedness to those uh, who mourn uh, in this tweet. And so Beth Moore wrote this this week. Um, Just kind of a shout out to Eugene. Don't you just sort of hope when Eugene Peterson finally sees the gorgeous, glorious face of the Savior he has so long loved and served? That Jesus is a type that might greet him with something from the message translation. Right out of John 21, 12, when the disciples had so many fish, it was about to break their net, and they were able to get it in when Jesus was there on the shore. And Jesus simply said, breakfast is ready. We think so often as Jesus as king and not very much as Jesus as chef, inviting us to the table. And as we approach such a sensitive subject this morning around lust, adultery, and divorce, I think we need to remember that, that Jesus is king, he's got an authority, and at the same time, there's an incredible compassion and gentleness, and I want to meet with you to the character of God. And I thought this tweet just captured that for us. I want to share with you my slide from last week. What does the beautiful kingdom life mean to you? And, and this is what I put down last week. This is very important as I hold this ahead of me and try to uh, keep things in my life in line with this goal. It would be to be in step with Jesus, to invest in others so it's not just about me, to have peace with me so that I'm okay with how God created me, the good and the bad and the ugly, that I'm okay with how God made me what God's calling me to do and to be. And then lastly, that I'm able to find a joy each day. Not always easy, but a goal that I'm shooting for. That would be, I believe for me, the beautiful kingdom life that would live with Jesus at the center. From last week, I ask you, with anger, with anger, how does anger move us away from this? So we entertain anger, we hide it, and we fester on it. How does that move us away from this? And it does. Then this week, Jesus would remind us that also lust in our lives can move us away from this, can blow a hole through our plans in this. Especially if we entertain, we hold close company too, and we allow it to have a strong foothold in our life. And so um, you may just laugh at the irony of of me kind of filling in here in the pulpit and Brian handing me the sermon schedule and I look down and and it says lust, divorce, and adultery. And I look around to the other pastors and wonder who's preaching on that and and it ends up being me. (laughs) So I I asked a, a few people this week asked me what I was preaching on and I told them and the look on their face. Um, and then I said, do you want to do it? And no one took me up on that. I mean, I could barely get it. I had to tell Duncan to pray for us. Just, you know, he was willing to do that, but not preach on this. So, so I approach that with, with a great deal of humility. I hope you understand. Um, because if there's, if there's 400 people in this room right now, there's 400 opinions about how I'm supposed to preach this. And, and there's checkboxes that we all have in our heads about what should be said and what shouldn't be said and how it should be said. And, and the chance of me putting my foot in my mouth is extremely high at this moment. Um, but I, I, pray, I pray that just as you ask God to have mercy on your life in this, that you also um, have mercy with me as, as I'm trying to be as faithful servant as possible. So 
with that all said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say I'm praying for you, but I'm really praying for me. So, so, so let's just take a second. Lord God, thank you that you didn't shy away from the hard topics. That the Sermon on the Mount gives us an incredible idea of what your kingdom is about. And as you address things that blow a hole in following you, in in the the things that drag us away from the beautiful kingdom life, um, help me to be faithful to your your words, your meaning, your desires, Lord. Um, Thank you, Lord, for for not just leaving us alone. but, But we have a faith community around us. We've got people that do care and that will be willing to hold us accountable. And we also have your spirit to walk with us, Lord. Uh, We ask for not our power right now, but your power, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jesus, he did not just pick these topics out of a hat. He didn't just say, you know what? I'm feeling like anger and now I'm feeling like we should talk about lust. Okay? He's really following the Ten Commandments. And so um, what Moses had laid out in the Sixth Commandment was last week. So um, protect the sanctity of life was last week. And we talked about anger, about hate, about murder. And then the next commandment is the Seventh Commandment, which, which really focuses on the protection and the sanctity of marriage. So we start there with, with protecting and the sanctity and the beauty of marriage. And out of that, Jesus is calling out lust adultery, and divorce. And that's how we got to this teaching here in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, as I read um, Jesus' words, um, I'm going to read out of the NLT. I know there's different, different versions. Um, but I want you to be in the crowd. And I did this last week. I want you to understand how the crowd was thinking about this. So um, I'm going to try to take you back to that time. And these are the things that you need to know. Number one, adultery was a girl thing. So typically, both legally and religiously, the girls got in trouble for this and the boys didn't. And so you could have the scarlet A for the rest of your life as a woman, but the guys sort of had this ability to move around and do their own thing. And so adultery was very, so you got to think about that as we read this. Okay? It was very much like a girl problem. Then the right to divorce, well, that was the guy's right, and the girl had no right to divorce. Because the girl was basically property as far as their legal understanding of divorce and marriage. So much so that Moses had to write a law that said, Hey guys, after you divorce a girl and later on in life you want to come back and claim her, you can't. So he was having a problem with that happening. And Moses had to write in a law that said, Listen, um, you divorced her. Okay, she's no longer your property. Okay, she belongs to someone else. And I know that's hard for us to like put it in those terms today, but that's how they understood this. And lastly, I have to put this in. Um, You just walk away from your wife. It's often an economic death sentence. And we have to keep that in mind. In a time where we know that Jesus was concerned with widows, was concerned with orphans, those people that were abandoned and just left and didn't have any rights and also didn't have any property— Okay, so it was often an economic death sentence at the same time. So keep those in mind as we read this. Out of Matthew 5, I'm going to read the, uh, the first two lines, and then I'm just going to pause. You have heard the commandment that says, keep in mind, um, they didn't have a Bible that they were all reading. Okay? Typically, they were leaning on the rabbis to teach them what Scripture was saying. So it says, you have heard, because really, they've heard. 
Okay? They've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. And at that point, if you're a guy, you can say, awesome, this message is for the ladies. Because typically, us guys, we don't get in trouble for this a whole lot. And then Jesus throws the but I say, and then you're in trouble. All of us are in trouble at this point. But I say, because Jesus has a new meaning that he's giving us. Anyone who even looks at a woman, who's he picking on? Definitely going for the guys at this point, okay? Definitely the guys. Is it universal? Yes, but it's just interesting that he goes right for the guys who just thought they were off the hook. Even looks at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He even evens the playing field right away, right away. Hey, this is a guy and girl issue. You don't have any right to just do what you want, guys. If you want to see this, this very teaching played out in real life, it does. The woman caught in adultery. This exact meaning gets played out when everyone circles her up. She's a woman. She's the one in trouble. We don't even know where the guy is at this point. He's off. And she, because Moses' law says, stone her. That's what needs to happen. And in that moment, Jesus says, listen, anyone around this circle who's holding on to a rock, if you don't have sin, then go ahead and throw the first stone. And then they start to drop their stones, oldest to youngest, and walk away. And I I think that he was really thinking through the sin of lust in that moment because that was the context of adultery and lust. And so it's played out in an actual situation in Jesus' life. I want to talk about the words, even looks at a woman with lust. Just that phrase. I want to key in on that. Uh, The first thing is looks. That's your eyes set upon. So your eyes are set upon something. You're staring. Um, the man that Jesus condemns in this verse is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to get excited for someone he has no right to. Hope that makes sense. Using eyes to get really excited and to want so badly something that he has no right to. Then the word lust uh, means to fix the desire upon in hopes of securing something. Now, this word can actually be positive or negative. You could, you could set your eyes on a goal in hopes to secure it, and that would be maybe positive. But that's not what Jesus is using it. He's using it in a negative, in the sense that if I could just have that one thing, I would be happy. My desires would be met. I would be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, I'm totally discontent with where I'm at in life. So, so hear me out. In just this phrase, it's not the first look, it's the second stare. So it's not the, wow, she's beautiful, she's fun to be around, or he's such a great guy, he's funny, he's charming, he's a great dad. It's not those acknowledgments. It's the second, it's the long stare, it's the dreaming, it's the wanting, it's the desiring, and at the same time, Totally discontent with what you have. That is what he's going for. That's what he's keying in on. At the same time, uh, the lust that he's talking about, it objectifies the person or it just thinks in terms of the body. It also devalues the person that you're with and maybe it even devalues you. When we move toward entertaining lust, allowing it to have a foothold, we move further and further away from contentment. And I would say further and further away from the beautiful life that we're trying to call ourselves to in this moment. So let's say, let's say um, you have a question for Jesus, but you're not going to ask it. But your friend 
is dumb enough to ask it. Okay, so he's going to raise his hand and be like, I just heard what you said, Jesus, so, so follow me, Jesus. Um, are you saying that the act of cheating on my girl is the same okay, as me just thinking about it? Because if it is the same, then I may as well cheat because I already thought about it. Right? You follow your friend's logic, sort of. Okay? Um, if you follow it, I believe Jesus' response would be this. Um, no. Okay, no, no, you cheat on your girl, you're going to leave a trail of destruction behind. It's a little bit different than you just thinking about it. So, so no, they are different. Okay, they have different set of consequences with them. But both you're discontent, both you're moving further away from God. Okay, I, I think I saw it said this way, and, and I give you this this morning. It's the next slide. Uh, what I'm saying is the desire and the deed Maybe they're not identical, but spiritually speaking, they're still the equivalent. Remember I talked about last week that, that murder was the end of this process of anger. And Jesus said, hey, back it up. I'm really concerned about where you're at right here, about this anger that you're holding on right here. We, we so quickly say, well, I didn't do this, so I'm okay. Jesus is doing the same thing right here. Whether, whether the end act is adultery or divorce or, or living in a miserable marriage and you've turned your back on your spouse, whatever the act is, he's concerned, back it up. I'm concerned about right here. Where are you at right now with entertaining lust in your life? So next set of verses. I call these the pirate verses because, um, it, you know, like the patch over one eye thing. Um, yeah, that's just my own thing. That's how I think. Um, so, so let me read these verses. So if your eye, even your good eye, because you're a pirate and you only have one good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Okay, now you're blind. Um, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, so that means I've got to cut my right hand off because I'm right-handed. Causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so your friend raises his hand again. And at this point, you move away from your friend. Um, okay, Jesus, so I got this lazy eye going on and like one good one. So are you saying Jesus? And Jesus says again, no, listen. Okay, and maybe Jesus gives a short grammar lesson on what hyperbole is. But I'm exaggerating to make a point that you will not forget. Keep in mind, um, they didn't walk away with the Bible or the handy teachings of Jesus, okay? Many were illiterate at the time. And so Jesus is trying to get into their heads something that they will remember and take with them. And so he's using exaggeration to make an incredibly serious point that I feel like today we can't get away from, in fact, I think we have to, to really acknowledge and think about what does it mean in my life. So um, I encourage you to think through this. In fact, if you come up with a good one, I would actually love to hear about it. But I just wrote three down. If your business travel, if it's really going to ruin your marriage, then get a different job. That's a serious point to make about what lust and, and moving away from your spouse is doing in your life. But is it true? Yeah, it's probably a true statement that I think Jesus is trying to make here. If your smartphone is going to ruin your marriage, then get a dumb one. Fast. Okay? If your news feed or Instagram uh, is making you totally miserable or discontent, then maybe take a break. Those are the three that I came up with. 
But I think you get the point. There's probably three, four, five things in our life that we could probably do that puts us into a better situation when it comes to temptation. Okay? We, we talk a lot of time about people that, that fall into temptation. And they'll often identify a time that they were either really stressed out or totally exhausted when it happened. So we have to think through those times when we're totally stressed out, exhausted. Where are we? What are we doing? How are we putting ourselves into a really bad situation? I think it's interesting that Jesus picks on the two body parts that probably get us into the most uh, trouble. Now, at least they make the news. Um, our eyes, what pictures get sent around? Okay, get us into trouble. The second thing, hands. Who gets touched inappropriately? The eyes and the hands are a key factor in our battle with lust. What's your response? What's your response to these teachings? I want to call out uh, from Job, and, and Job will be way in the Old Testament, one of the very first books ever written. And Job even said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Later on in Proverbs, the first several chapters of Proverbs were written to a young man. Like, how can you keep your way pure? How can, how can you overcome so it was written to a young man, and, and this line is such a good line. Keep to a path far from her, the temptation, or, or the person that you're just entertaining the thought of, what could it be like? Do not even go near her door of her house. So they, didn't, they couldn't just text. They couldn't just message Facebook, direct message one another. Okay? The idea of maybe connecting with someone that you shouldn't, you had to hang out maybe by her house. And so that's the image we get is you're probably not going to get into trouble with that girl if you don't go anywhere near her house. But if you keep going by her house intentionally, even though it's not on the way to the water hole, you are just opening yourself up to a big temptation. Jesus, just like anger, is deeply concerned with our thoughts, about our secrets, about what we're holding on to. And not just the end action. But the end action can be adultery and divorce. And so he calls them out. And so that's where we go next. Now, again, you're in the crowd. I want you to understand the thinking of the day. The thinking of the day was um, Jesus was an up-and-coming rabbi. But there was two rabbis that held the power in the community. And they taught different messages about divorce. And it all connected back to Deuteronomy when Moses wrote that they would be allowed to divorce If the man, of course the guy had power at that point, um, the man could find uncleanliness in his wife. Which of course, for the next 2,000 years, they battled over what does uncleanliness really mean. And at this point in history, the two rabbis that were the main teachers, one, we, we, um, we say that he taught that you could get divorced under conditions of adultery. But other than that, God wants you to stick together. And the other rabbi, we call him the burnt toast rabbi. Because basically, like, anything your wife messes up, like, you can write her a message, and I'm done with you, and you're done. And so we had these two rabbis that were on opposite ends, and, and a lot of people would pledge allegiance to one of those rabbis. And so they're very interested in how Jesus is going to come down on this whole thing. So teaching about divorce. Next, verse 31. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written 
notice of divorce. He's referring to the second rabbi, the teaching that's gone on for a long time. Kind of gives the guy the power to kind of do what he wants and to, to write off the woman when he, when he feels like it. But I say to you that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Now he seems to move back with the other rabbi. Like really, in extreme situations, maybe divorce, but really, like I'm looking for you guys to be faithful to one another, and that's being faithful to God. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now these are some hard verses that have been interpreted so many different ways as I've studied and read and and as I've grown up. And depending on how you grew up or what you've been told, you have your own opinions about these. Here's what we know. We know, number one, that Jesus says that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. So because of our fallenness and sometimes living in that fallenness, that it was allowed in the Old Testament. But it's not God's plan. It's not what God desires. Then in this situation, Jesus seems to seem to open the door a little bit to unfaithfulness. Paul, he was faced with something different in 1 Corinthians. So Paul was faced with the question, um, hey Paul, Jesus didn't really say or answer this question, so tell us, what do we do when one's a believer and one's not a believer? So Paul was trying to answer that the best he could. Um, It appears that, number one, he said, um, have patience, and God's desire is that you would stay together and pray for the unbeliever, pray for uh, the spouse that is not putting their faith in God. And then he goes on and does say, unless there's abandonment, maybe that opens the door to divorce. And of course, if you can imagine, for the next 2,000 years, we've kind of argued and thought about what does the word abandonment mean? And so this morning is not the last word on adultery or divorce or lust. Because I think it definitely is a conversation. And you can probably come back with me and say, yeah, but. And you're thinking about this one situation. Yeah? Because we're all from these different lives. And nothing is, is black and white sometimes. And you're trying to figure out, what does God desire in that situation? But I think we can go back to this and say God's desire is, God's ideal is that two shall become one and there's a faithfulness that they enjoy throughout life. The last last line, does anyone who marries a divorced woman also commit adultery? I think that's been used a lot to give people scarlet A's to wear around for the rest of their life and to make them feel like second-class citizens in a church. I don't see that being backed up in Scripture. I think there's a lot of ways we could look at that. I'm not going to tell you how to look at it this morning. But I'm going to say this. It puts a lot of responsibility back on the guy. In coming into this conversation, there wasn't any responsibility on the guy. So anyone who marries a divorced woman. So guys, you're, you're in this. And if, here's what I know. I think it's definitely pointing out that up to this point, you've taken divorce lightly in, in this culture. You've divorced for a lot of, a lot of small things. And at the same time, you've gotten to this cycle of just letting it go, letting it go, letting it go. And I'm calling you to grab a hold and work through it. And so he's definitely calling the men to step up and to be a part of these marriages and try to work through any problems that might come up. That's definitely a line in there as far as he's putting a lot of responsibility up on the guys. Says, hey, all of it's been shoved on the woman at this point. Guys, I'm talking to you. 
if you're marrying. You can't just go through and, and not think it's not adultery if you're just cycling through relationships. Now, that's heavy lifting. And again, maybe you've got a situation you just want to talk out loud about. Oh, we can do that. I think we have to. I had someone in first service say, you know, I appreciate this morning. It's just not something that's easy to talk about. But yet Jesus goes right for it and talks about it because it's part of our lives. It's so important. What do you want? That's Brian Thomas had said that uh, in, in his opening intro a couple weeks ago. What do you want? Is it the beautiful kingdom life? And if it is, are you desiring your spouse? Are you desiring family? Are you allowing lust to get a foothold in? One of the things that's been important to me is just, um, if I'm going to crowd one thing out, I want to fill it with something else. And so I thought about what are kingdom words that, that we want our days to be about. Um, what I put on here was joy, trust, thankfulness, grace, time with one another, honesty, vulnerability, accountability. Those are all things, if I fill my life with these things, it's going to leave little room for lust. It's going to provide me with an easy out that I don't need to go by the girl's house back in Proverbs. That, that I feel like I can step away from that temptation because I want these to be in my life, to be filled with this. I want love to bubble up and lust to be cast aside. So what if, if you just think about happiness in this idea of, of lust that Jesus is bringing up. What if lust leaves us empty? What if it, it um, provides a kick, but it's so short? What if it leaves us lonely? What if it devalues others? What if it devalues us? I think it's true of all that. But what if we really hang on to that and believe that? Here's what I know. Lust leaves me discontent. It leaves me discontent with what I have. Lust moves me away from the beautiful kingdom life. And lust focuses all my attention on me. If we've paid attention in the news today, we know that lust can bring people down. And while they might make the headlines, we might not. But it can bring us down. But we meet together today and we go into this next time just singing. Because we believe that there's a power to save. Amen. We, we believe that there's, there's a resurrection power. That, that the baptism, you come out of the water into the resurrection. That we, we believe that there's a time for healing, of renewing, of moving forward. To take our burdens and hand them off to Jesus. We believe all that in the change that starts often happens with a powerful short prayer. I put in the bulletin, maybe write your own. This morning as we, we end, maybe say your own. And maybe you want to come up for prayer at the end. Pastor, we, we are available. We'll talk you through whatever you're going through. Nothing's new under the sun, folks. <laughs> Seriously. We've probably had a similar conversation in different contexts. We'd love to just chat with you and to move you forward toward the beautiful life. I, I leave you with this last line. Rob Bell said this years ago. It's always stuck with me. If it's just me against the lust, the odds are always against me. If I keep it hidden, it's going to eat me alive. So here's what I want to say. From God, from the pastors, from this faith community, I just want you to hear this. You are not alone. You are not alone. And you are not alone.